living the word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what he wants to say to us. Livingthewordtoday.com. Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. studying a series that we've entitled Refocus. You see it on the screen. And we're going to finish that today, Lord willing. Just things that I felt like, as, as the Spirit's impressed me as I've studied the Scriptures, and just our, some are just obvious, things that we need to refocus on to be spiritually healthy followers of Christ. With that in mind, I'm going to just give you a little review. I'm going to show where we've come from and into where we are today. First of all, we talked about refocusing on the Word the Word of God. We need to be in God's Word daily and collectively together. We talked about being able to refocus on, refocus on eternal life. That we are going to live forever. We are eternal creatures. Then refocus on who we are. Seeing who we are in Christ. That we would know that we are in Him and we're secure in Him and so forth. And then refocus on asking. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. And that was our focus on prayer. Refocus on the cross. We did that on Communion Sunday just thinking about the reality of what that means for us. Last week we looked at refocusing on the church. And today as we look at the continuation really of the story we began last week in chapter 7 of Acts, focusing on one person by the name of Philip. Today we're going to talk about we need to refocus outward. We need to focus outward. Yes, we love being together. It was interesting just kind of being over here in the corner and before service, just seeing everybody you know that was here at that particular time, we're talking and visiting and loving to be here and enjoying the company of either folks they came with or folks that they met when they came, and just that that feeling of family. But you understand the focus of the church is on the church, but it also needs to be out there as well. The vast majority of people that live in this community, the metro area of, of this Canal Valley area here around Charleston and, and even beyond up down river, it's about 200,000 people live in this, this valley. The vast majority of them are not sitting in any kind of church or religious service this morning. So our focus is always outward, and Jesus compels us to do that. And we're going to see a man who exemplified that in his life as we pick up the story of Philip. Now, chapter 7, you remember he was one of those seven Hellenistic Jews that was appointed to be over the distribution of, of supplies, food, if you will, for people who had need in the church, and because there was there was some, uh, how should we say, disorganization in the process, and so the apostle says, "You point over you seven men full of the Holy Spirit. They're going to do this because we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word, and the pre uh, and prayer." And so Philip is one of those. Now, just to give you the quick story, of what we've skipped over, the story of Stephen, who was also one of those seven. He proclaims Christ publicly. He he's he's as a bold witness for the Lord. And because of the opposition that was now beginning to rise among the Jews in the Judea-Jerusalem area, by the end of chapter 7, he is stoned to death. He is the first person recorded who gave his life for preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the beginning of chapter 8, 
we see this guy that we're going to know a lot about as you study Acts by the name of Saul, who later gets a name change to Paul. But it talks about his persecuting the church and how the church is having to scatter and has to have to move out because things are getting tough in Jerusalem. Verse 4, Acts 8. Those who, those who therefore, those therefore, excuse me, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the, to a city, the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And then verse 7 is an accounting of these amazing signs. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. His example is an example that should help us point to our responsibility as believers in Christ. Responsibility as a church, collectively. Responsibility as us as part of Christ's body. First of all, I want to just focus on this, okay? This is our responsibility, to gather others to hear the gospel. Gather others together, bring people together to hear the gospel. Now, there's some things we want to say about this particular episode. He goes to, it says, a place of Samaria, the city of Samaria. That also should key us back to a passage of Scripture that we know fairly well, very familiar, from John chapter 4. Jesus is traveling between Galilee and Judea. Typically, you would avoid Samaria if you were a Jew. He says, I must needs go through Samaria. And you remember he meets a woman at the well. You remember that whole story. He goes there and then she tells others that she's met this one who's told me all things that I've ever done and all that. And the whole city comes out and hears him. God was not done with the city of Samaria yet, the area of Samaria. And he's sending Philip to be the, how should we say, the second wave of his concern for this city. And it's amazing. Contrast that with what you see back in Jerusalem, which is what we skipped over in chapter 7. The, yes, there's many people saved. There's thousands of believers. But those that are in authority in Jerusalem are rejecting Christ, rejecting that he's the Messiah, rejecting the truth, rejecting the disciples, persecuting them. In other words, we want you out. And the people in Samaria are filled with joy. We welcome you in. Sort of the least likely. The Samaritans, as you recall, were of mixed racial descent. They were both uh, uh, pagan or Gentile and Jewish descent. That occurs during the time of the Assyrian uh, destruction of, of Israel. And that whole thing you read there in the, in, the, in the historical parts. It basically encompasses the ten northern tribes of Israel, ten of the twelve. And because they were not pure Jew and they had this sort of mixed, those that were the remnant of Israel, per se, viewed them as deficient. They are not worthy to be seen. They're not worthy to be mixed with. We shun them. We stay away from them. They are the outcasts of the outcasts. Except Jesus didn't feel that way. And Philip didn't feel that way. And when it comes to the world in which we live, there are no outcasts. There are no outcasts. We are responsible to, at the first part, gather together. So he goes down there and he preached Christ to them. Now, we talked briefly about this last time. And God is setting this up into a perfect collection of reality to accomplish his perfect will. Philip was what we would call a Hellenistic Jew. In other words, his, his language, he would speak Hebrew as a Jew. But his common language would be predominantly Greek, which was the Roman adapted language that they 
kind of co-opted for their society. The Jews of Jerusalem, the Hebraic Jews, spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. So there was a language difference. The Hellenistic Jews were viewed as sort of compromises, sort of the outcast as well. The people in Jerusalem viewed themselves as we are the ones who are the, the, true, uh, the, the true holders of the title Jewish. So when Philip is the one sent, he received a greater acceptance. He didn't have the problems to overcome in his own heart. And he sends him to the right place. And notice the response. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. No arguing, no skepticism, no, uh, you don't belong here. No, we have our own religion. No, we have our own thing. They just opened their hearts. God had them ready. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. It was accompanied by amazing signs. It was accompanied by the truth that he was doing these things by the power of God. So, now, I've never been to Samaria, and probably you haven't either. But in principle, we can translate this to us. This is our responsibility. We are responsible to gather folks together. And I want you, and I want to encourage you, that over these next weeks, particularly leading up to Easter, that we're going to do our best to gather folks to come and hear the Word of God, to gather folks to come and to hear the claims of Christ, to come and hear the same message, basically, that Philip shared all those years ago culminating in our celebration of the resurrection of our Lord, that Jesus indeed is alive. Now, I ran into a little research project that was done by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and they did a nationwide poll. So this is churches and communities all across America. And they asked the question, what it was that initially brought you to church, the church you're a part of. So church people, what brought you to church? Six to eight percent walked in of their own initiative. In other words, there's a church, I'm going to go in. For those, if that would happen to be, if you're in that 6 to 8%, I salute your bravery to walk in a place you don't know anybody, you don't know what's going on, you don't know, and why is people sitting up, standing, you know, and all that sort of thing. And, but you, you come, that's you. 2 to 3% liked a program offered. We spend a lot of time on programming. <laughs> I find that a little low. Uh, 8 to 10 came to church because they liked the pastor. I, I, I would hope it would be at least into like 20%, but it doesn't get there. Three to four percent had a need met by the church, and we do a lot of that trying to meet need, but three to four percent, and all that's valid. One to two percent were evangelized. In other words, they were confronted and shared with Christ. They accepted Christ prior to coming to the church. Three to four percent were attracted by Sunday school or adult children programs. Seventy to eighty-five percent, do you know what it is? Can you anticipate? Were invited by a relative or a friend. Seventy to eighty-five percent. The average for all those churches is 83% came to church because of an invite by a friend or relative. Something as simple as saying, could I invite you to services at our church to gather people to hear the gospel, to gather people together? That's our, that's our responsibility. Also, they conducted a survey in the same study about, among people who do not go to church, unchurched people. And in this survey... They found out that 82% of non-church people said they would attend a church service if a friend or relative invited them. I find that mind-blowing. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be mind-blowing because 83% of us got here in similar fashion. So, it's as simple as you and I taking our responsibility seriously. We don't have to flee our homes to do it. We don't have to go to a foreign country to do it. God bless those who do go to foreign countries who do it. I'm glad we support missionaries and 
a portion of everything you put in the offering goes to support not just here in this world in this part of the world but in far off parts of the world we're gonna have a special emphasis on our ministry we support through the Staley's over in Ireland over those next weeks and I don't want to take time now to explain it but we're working on a special project that you can be a part of clear over in the across the pond as they say we're working on that but we need to find ways to do that now also I want to say there's several ways beyond the invitation that we can gather a crowd for worship okay one is just what's going on I have people several times have said to me I was driving by and I saw that parking lot what's going on over there People, people notice. People notice. People notice what you share publicly about what's going on. When you share something about a picture you took at church or your group or your study or the kids doing a program, there were some folks that, that shared last week of, of the people that, that joined our church, the 23 that we mentioned, those that were here, took a picture of that, put it on there, and it just, it just says something's working here. Something's alive here. But there's nothing probably more profound we can do after that initial invite as to give people a good first impression when they come. What do they find when they walk in the door? Because you can get them in the door with an invita invitation once. What's it going to take to get them to come back a second time? It's your friendly face. It is your friendly demeanor. It is your welcoming, warm spirit. First impressions are important. One of the things that I was supposed to do, I was supposed to make a trip to Cleveland this week for a doctor's appointment. And I made it because it was the appointment was very early, so we were going up today, but the evening before, stay in a hotel and go to my appointment and come back the next day. Well, I, I, I test positive and it's like, no one wants to be around you and please don't come to your appointment and don't check into our hotel. So I called to cancel the reservation, okay? So I call the reservation number. I go through all the things. Well, we canceled your reservation, but you're still gonna be charged your full amount. Oh, really, why? Well, we have this policy, it has to be by a certain time. And I said, I understand that, but I don't think you want me in your hotel. You know, I don't, you just, could you do, make some accommodation because of this thing I couldn't tell? Oh, sure, Let's, I'm gonna transfer you to someone else. And then I listened to this lousy music for about 40 minutes and suddenly my phone goes click. I call back, same exact routine, click. So I mean, I've spent like a bunch of my time trying to do this. So I call the front desk, get the front desk guy. We can't help you with that. There's no way we can, we can refund your money. And I said, well, can I speak to your manager? My manager is standing right beside me, and he will tell you the same thing. And I said, who's the top manager in your hotel? Well, I can put you through to the general manager. So I finally got to the general manager, and apparently they've been talking. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Wagoner. We're going to not charge you for that. They shouldn't have told you that, that sort of thing. So I got a good result, but after two hang-ups of the phone and two people telling me they couldn't, the first impression was already way down in the, in the gutter, okay, so to speak. Next time I decide whether to go to a hotel, there are other options in Cleveland, Ohio, okay? I mean, that's just, I, mean I don't want to be vindictive, but that's the way it is. You only have one chance to be a first impression. Someone was here two weeks ago. I knew the parents of this young man. He's just here temporarily, but he came and he introduced himself, and we talked for a moment, and he says, I just want to tell you, you have a friendly church. And I'm like, whoa. Wasn't I told you to? I'm telling you now, but I didn't tell you then. You did it of all of your own accord. You see someone you don't know, reach out and just give them a smile, give them whatever love you can, ask their name, get to know their name. We want to be a welcoming church. And we're going to give you a tool to do that. When you came in today, hopefully you got a little card that looks like that. If you didn't get a little card like that, there's a stack of them on the table. You can pick them up. I want everybody to leave with two today, all right, two of these cards. And I want you to look at this side, all right? There's two parts to this. It just simply is name a church, 
location, website, all right? Because if they want to know anything else about the church, that website, they can get anything, anything we can think of to tell them, all right? But just having something in your hand over these next seven weeks, I think you could probably, we can all at least do two. If you need more, you can come back for more. Make it your commitment that we're going to be responsible to try to gather people to hear the gospel. And a simple invitation was, can I just give you this? This is our church. I love it. If you have a church, fine. But if you, if you don't have a place to worship, I want you to come worship with me some Sunday here soon. And especially as we lead up to Easter because people are even more open to coming, all right? A simple invitation. We're giving you a tool to do it, okay? Put that down for a moment and go back to Acts chapter 8. Now, there's some things that happened in, in, in between where we left off in verse 8. But I want you to get down to verse 26 because we pick up his story here. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. Here's Philip. Now, there could be a time gap between Samaria ministry and this, but I, I don't think there is. I suspect there's not much of a gap. The whole city is turning out. People are repenting of their sins. People are trusting in Christ. The church is exploding. And then God kind of taps them on the shoulder through this angelic message. I want you to go out in the desert. What is there a lack of in the desert besides water? There's a lack of people. <laughs> there's, 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 there might be a few people passing through, but there's not a crowd. There's not a town. There's not a great group of people. You wonder if Philip maybe would have thought, I don't think he did because he's much more spiritual than I am. But I can imagine many of us saying, Lord, let me stay here where everything's working. Let me stay here where it's safe, where people are loving me. And you want me to go out in the desert? This leads us to number two. Our responsibility not only to gather others to hear the gospel, but go to others to share the gospel. Go to others to share the gospel. That's what it pushes on. That's number two. So he goes out there in the desert, and let's read the rest of the story. So he arose and went. His obedience is intact. And behold, a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet, which I just find that mind-blowing, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's talk about this guy, okay? He's an official. He's the treasurer, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. If you study this in secular history, this is the area of Nubia, which is up the Nile River, which is also south, so it's down the Nile River, however you want to say it, uh, where there was the kingdom of Nubia. It actually encompasses southern, what's now southern Egypt and northern Sudan, okay? There was a section, there's a big, there's a big bend in, the, in the, uh, uh, the Nile River, and it's the Nubian Desert, and along the river this culture grew up, okay? They had some interesting things about them. By the way, during the time of Jeremiah, you remember a bunch of the Jews went south to flee from the Babylonians, and they, take, they took Jeremiah against his will down there, History tells us that there was a, a rather thriving, small but thriving Jewish community in a, in a city called Elephantine today. It was actually an island in that same area. So it had some Jewish influence. So this man maybe was Jewish. Maybe he was a, trying to convert to Judaism. He certainly made a trip hundreds of miles from the Nile River Valley all the way up to Israel to go to Jerusalem. And he's, he wants to encounter the one true God and he's thrown his way back. A couple other things about Nubian culture. Candace is a title, it's not a name. Candace is a name like, is a title like Pharaoh. And interestingly, 
this was the queen mother. This is also interesting. The line of succession of the kings went through the mother's line, not the father's. So when a new king was appointed, he was so holy and so special, we don't, we're not going to task him with doing anything to run the country. So the queen, his mother actually was the one running the country, and she had the title of Candace. And the, the beauty mark of it, remember the, the sort of the queens of Egypt were always, you know, had all the, the headdress and all that sort of thing. Uh, the, uh, the Nubian queen mothers were only viewed as a be beautiful if they were incredibly obese, okay? So the larger the woman was, the more beautiful they were. So a little different culture than maybe we would understand. But this guy is an official, and he, now he's riding along in a caravan, going back home. He's tried to meet God. He's still wondering what it's all about. He happens to be reading the, the scroll of Isaiah. The fact that he has a portion of Isaiah or maybe a whole scroll of Isaiah is significant. Because people didn't have their own individual scrolls in that day. In fact, one town had to kind of work together to save up enough money to buy a scroll to put in one synagogue that they all shared, okay? So he's going along, and it says this. Verse 30. So, so Philip ran to, to him and heard him reading, so he's reading out loud, the prophet Isaiah, and he said, just a simple question, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So now they're both sort of riding along, or maybe they pulled over to park. I don't know. The place in the scripture which he read was this, and this is from Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shears is dumb. He opened not his mouth. In, in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. You and I know that the absolute premier passage in all the Old Testament about the suffering Christ is Isaiah 53. It just so happens that he's reading that passage. And then this man asked him, so the eunuch answered Philip, and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? He knew it was speaking of a person. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. He led by the Holy Spirit, goes down, God has it all set up, by the way. We may not feel very prepared. Oftentimes I don't feel very prepared to go out in this world where people are skeptical and critical and have been taught all sorts of wrong things to go out and to share Christ in a powerful way with them. But you know what? The preparation is not about your preparation. The preparation is about what preparation God has made before we ever show up. Now, I kind of think if we just kind of keep baiting the hook and kind of throw it in the water, you're going to find out if the fish are biting, right? And, and if you just sort of ask questions, interact with people, try to steer things to a spiritual discussion, you're going to find out somebody who's responsive or wants to have that discussion with you. If it's an absolute no, no interest, go on to the next person. So we may not feel well, well prepared, but think of this. God is always prepared. He had the right location, the right purpose, a person who was seeking, a person who was reading, a person who was inviting, Philip who was prepared to share, and God put it all together. God may want to use many of us over the next seven weeks to just be the connection point for someone who needs to know about Christ. Now let's read the rest of the story then I'm going to give you the second part of the tool we're putting in your hands today. Verse 36, now as they went down the road they came to some water that could have been, because it's on the coast, could have been the Mediterranean or could have been a, a stream of some sort, we don't know. And then he said, see here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? He'd come at that point to realize Christ was the Messiah. Christ was the Savior. He knew that the public way to profess Christ was through the waters of baptism. And he's willing to do that. Look at verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. 
we who are Baptists kind of go to that verse because it pretty well indicates that baptism means getting some water and getting immersed, okay? I know other traditions do it in different modes, and I don't, I don't criticize them, but uh, this is what we understand from scriptures. This is what we practice, all right? But it was, he now says, I'm a follower of Christ. By the way, man's story ends here as far as the Bible. The man's story does not end here as far as whatever God does with him. We also know from history of that Nubian area that there was a thriving Christian community, Christian church. In fact, it became predominantly Christian for the first four centuries after the time of Christ until the Arab invasion and Islam came in and sort of took over that part of the world. But there's still Nubians that still live as a minority in that part of the world. And for at least 400 years after this moment, there was a great Christian community gathered there. Why? Because one man was willing to take a step and to go and to tell others about Christ. You got your card? I'll give you a second tool, all right? And that's this, this side, all right? It asks a simple question. Do you believe Jesus is alive? If you ask people that question, you're probably going to get all sorts of answers. By the way, the only three answers you can get are yes, no, or maybe. That's the only, that's the only answer to that question that people could give. And uh, it says there, if you see there, watch this video. You scan that QR code, it takes you to our website, to a six-minute video, answering that question, sharing the gospel, and inviting people to further take the next step, either to come to church or to watch a second video that gives the gospel in more detail, that sort of thing. All right? So basically, hey, we've been asked this question in church, and I wouldn't mind asking you that question, and I'll just give that to you. All you have to do is scan that with your phone. It'll take six minutes. Would you invest six minutes in taking a listen? Maybe, as a, not, maybe just as a reason not to be rude to you, they will do that. But at least it puts that opportunity in front of them to be able to share the gospel in a quiet sort of way. Because there's some people that, you know, if 82% of people will come to a worship service because you invite them, that means there's still some people who won't come even if you do invite them. So we need to go. And maybe it's a both and. Let me tell you about this side of the card. Let me tell you about this side of the card. But I want us to just set our sights to do this simple thing of seeking to gather people to hear the gospel and also to go and to take the gospel. And we've tried to create a very practical, very simple, very easy tool for you to be able to do that. Who knows what the Lord may record in eternity through our obedience? What did God record in eternity through this particular man? Now, Philip's story doesn't end here. It says that he uh, came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, this is now 39, so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Now I don't know if that means he just immediately left or suddenly it was like poof, he was gone. God could do it however he wants. God has snatched people away in instantaneously. Maybe he just doesn't say that. But it says, and Philip was found in Azortus, and passing through he preached to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. There's a verse that's found in the scriptures that's in, uh, in, in the 20, 21st chapter of Acts. You don't need to turn there. Just read it quickly. But this is now 20 years after these events. Paul and his company, including Luke, who wrote this book, we we're told this. As they're coming from their missionary journey back to Jerusalem, when Paul gets to, to that city of Jerusalem, he's arrested and he never has his freedom except for some brief periods anymore. On the next day... We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He's still at it. He's known as Philip the Evangelist. 
How does Luke know about these two stories from Philip's life? I think he was an overnight guest in his house, and I think Luke gets out his pad and says, Hey, Philip, why don't you tell me some stories from those 20 years ago days? Writes it down and searches it in his text to encourage people like you and I that this man was used of the Lord, and God wants to use you, man or woman of the Lord, to do this. And what, I, what I'm going to do over these next six weeks is simply this, that I want to make sure that I share something that's going to encourage us as believers but I certainly want to share the gospel with anyone you would invite in. And you pray over that. You pray over your, your part, your responsibility. Pray over those that God may want to reach. Now, obviously, usually in my sermon, somewhere along the line, you hear me do it every week, I'll share something of the gospel and give an invitation. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you scan that code, okay? Just, just use those six minutes to hear the claims of Christ. And if we could have a conversation with you after service today or some other time, we'd love to have that if we need to help you with that. Two things God calls us to do. We need to, well, we as we refocus on the word, the eternal life, who we are, asking the cross in church, two things to do today is we refocus on the outward. Gather others to hear the gospel. Go to others to share the gospel. We put a tool in your hand we want you to use for the Lord. And let's just pray for each other. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, use my friends around me in amazing ways. Put the opportunity. Stir hearts, open hearts, even in advance. People are looking, people are seeking, people need. Everybody needs Jesus. Let's be those that gather. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you, and the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.